You are now listening to What the Hell, a podcast dedicated to helping you navigate your way to better health. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 47 of What the Health. I'm your host, Lena Lahire, and today I'm joined by special guest, Rachel Everett. Rachel is a registered dietitian with a virtual practice focused on helping women find lasting relief from IBS, IBS symptoms. She specializes in using a holistic approach that includes diet, lifestyle, and functional lab testing to identify and address the root cause of symptoms. Her proven framework has helped many women beat the bloat for good, regain trust with their bodies, and build confidence with food. I found Rachel on social media when I was going through my own SIBO diagnosis and the information she provides was such a huge help to me. I'm thrilled to have her on to talk all about IBS and SIBO. Welcome to the show, Rachel. Thanks, Lena. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So why don't we start off the episode by you sharing your personal story, how you got into dietetics, uh, why you decided to specialize in IBS and SIBO and your own struggles with IBS and SIBO. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So yeah, I guess to kind of explain, you know, I got into nutrition, uh, got really interested in nutrition at a young age because of my own issues. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I noticed as a child that just like food was more challenging for me than my friends and people around me. And, um, you know, I credit my mom a lot. She was probably the first one to be like, Hey, like, let's look at diet and maybe steer away from conventional medicine instead of using a bunch of antibiotics and such for, uh, these conditions. And so, yeah, I, you know, kind of throughout my life, um, was really interested in nutrition exercise, trying to kind of like manage my severe constipation. Like I, Lena, I have horrible memories of going on vacation as like a young girl, teenager, and just being so miserable because Mm -hmm. I wasn't having a bowel movement, you know, I was so gassy, et cetera. Um, But so yeah, fast forward, you know, went to uh, college, thought I was gonna go into med school and just realized that didn't align with my belief that, hey, like, I think the body has the ability to heal itself if given the right tools. Mm -hmm. Um, So kind of took, you know, a hard left turn, went into nutrition, and uh, went to get my master's in clinical nutrition. And um, during that time, you know, the low FODMAP diet just uh, became kind of popular for IBS. So I learned about that and that was really helpful managing symptoms. But man, even as a dietitian, I was like, I don't want to live off a restrictive diet for the rest of my life. You know, I don't want to just like manage symptoms with laxatives and supplements and diet and just always have to worry about what I'm putting in my mouth, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so then kind of fast forward a little bit later, I was already a dietitian and I went to a conference and that's the first time I heard really about different ways that you can get SIBO. So when I was in grad school, like we touched on SIBO for a day, but at that time, the research said that the only way that you can get SIBO, um, was if you had like gut resection or different surgeries on your gut. 
And then new research came out saying that, oh, no, actually, there's all these other different ways of getting SIBO. And so I had already known, you know, that I had IBS uh, from a child I was diagnosed. And this just gave me that answer of, okay, well, what caused my IBS? Like, why is this happening? You know? Mm -hmm. And so then definitely kind of rushed home after that conference, got tested for SIBO and was able to address it. And my life turned around after that. Um, obviously, you know, it wasn't just like a overnight process, but I think it's just like been my mission since then to help women who, you know, like you and I have struggled with gut issues, maybe most of their life mm -hmm. were told, Hey, you just have IBS. Like here's a low FODMAP handout. Good luck. Yep. And not really have any answers, you know? Yep. yep. Let's, let's rewind a little bit. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners know what these things are, but can you explain what IBS and SIBO is for anyone listening that doesn't know what those acronyms stand for? Absolutely. So uh, IBS stands for irritable bowel syndrome. And I like to turn this as like a trash can diagnosis because essentially, you know, what will happen is, you know, someone may go into their doctor's office and they're complaining of like bloat, gas, constipation, and or diarrhea, you know, just change in bowel movement, uh, frequency, and just kind of shape and form. Mm -hmm. And the doctor will most likely, you know, run a couple tests. You may get an endoscopy, a colonoscopy, and they see, oh, everything looks good. There's nothing that we can see that's wrong. And so, IBS is a functional kind, kind of disease, functional di disorder. And so they'll say, hey, you know, there's something going on here. Um, we don't really know what it is, but we'll just label it IBS. And they'll just use symptoms, essentially. Like once your tests are clean, you know, normal, uh, they'll look at uh, the Rome criteria, which says, okay, if you've got two or more of the following, which is recurrent like abdominal pain for more than one day a week for the last three months um, that gets worse or better with a bowel movement. Um, and you may experience change in frequency like of stool and form of your bowel movements, then they'll diagnose IBS. So yeah, it's very symptom-based and it's a diagnosis of exclusion, meaning everything else came back normal. Yeah, yeah. And then for SIBO, so SIBO stands for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Now, SIBO is um, now the new research shows that up to 84% of IBS is actually caused by SIBO. Wow. So this gives us an answer of, okay, what is causing IBS? You know, this trash can term that's like, hey, just throw this person into the IBS category because we don't know what it is. Well, this gives us an answer for that. Uh, up to 84% is SIBO. And what that is, is now you've got bacteria that normally is supposed to be in our large intestine, right? Like that's our microbiome. Most people by now have kind of heard, you know, take care of your gut microbiome, the importance of that. Well, what happens is with SIBO is bacteria are now overgrowing in your small intestine where it's not meant to be. Mm. So our small intestine is meant to be pretty sterile mm -hmm. and it wasn't made for bacteria or the byproduct of bacteria eating fibers, which is gas. Mm -hmm. So that gas that is produced by bacteria that's growing there will cause symptoms like pain, bloat, diarrhea, constipation, so all those IBS symptoms. Yeah. 
Yeah. And is the bacteria um, native to that area or is it pathogenic? So yeah, that's common. There's a, a lot of confusion around that. Like, is this a bad bacteria? Is this an infection? Um, it's not bad bacteria. It's bacteria that is normally in your large intestine, but now has either come into your small intestine, either like migrating backward mm-hmm. or, and you know, we'll probably talk about this or it's bacteria coming in from the outside that is surviving the stomach acid and overgrowing your small intestine too. So mm-hmm. yeah, most of the bacteria that we find there, it's just, it's normal, but it's overgrowing and that's the problem. Right. So I guess that would lead to, to a next question. How does it get there? Yeah. So there's definitely different uh, causes of SIBO. And this is the biggest thing, Lena, is that a lot of people will go to their doctor, um, get tested, and you would do a breath test yeah. um, for SIBO. And in that breath test, you know, you'll be able to see, is there hydrogen, you know, gas that's produced by hydrogen producing bacteria? Is there methane gas that's, um, you know, prevalent where, uh, which is caused by methanogens or archaea uh, that's overgrowing. So the treatment for that is, you know, antibiotic or antimicrobial, but the key is to address why you got SIBO in the first place. And Mm -hmm. so kind of answering your question there, there's a few kind of umbrella terms or umbrella causes. One of the biggest things is um, damage to your motility. So an impaired motility in your gut. Mm -hmm. So in our small intestine, you know, we've got this thing called our migrating motor complex which are these sweeping waves that occur in between eating and it clears out food and bacteria. Well, if those, that migrating motor complex is damaged, well, now that sweeping isn't going to be as effective. So Mm -hmm. you're going to have some bacteria hanging out left over and that can, um, that can lead to an overgrowth of bacteria. So impaired motility is a big one. Another one is I'm, impaired flow through your intestines. So this would be more structural, like thinking adhesions from endometriosis or abdominal surgery. Um, Also some medications can cause it as well. uh, In addition to just impaired digestion, Uh, so low stomach acid can be a big cause too. So there's a lot of, there's a host of different causes, which can make it really tricky, but it's key to kind of do that investigation with your practitioner so that you don't kind of keep relapsing because SIBO is just a symptom of something else. Yeah. I love that you said that because, you know, how do, how do we get there and we can treat it, but what, what stops it from coming back? Because relapsing is pretty common, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think the relapse rate, you know, it varies based off of, you know, what, what research you look at, but like 40 to 60% will relapse Wow. within two months. So two months is kind of the average relapse time period. And I see that so often. I mean, many clients will come to me and they'll say, Hey, I took antibiotics. I felt amazing. Two months later, my symptoms are all coming back. Like what's going on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So In that case, what do you do with a client that's relapsing? Okay. Before we answer that question, what are the possible, because there's so much to talk about with SIBO. Um, And and for a lot of people who struggle with IBS to hear about SIBO could be like such a big answer for them. 
Um, but it's also a bit of a minefield. So that's why it's wonderful to have an, an expert on here. Um, what would be the possible treatment for SIBO? Yeah. So you could do, it has to be a antimicrobial so, or antibiotic. So mm-hmm. sometimes I'll get people asking me, well, can I just starve the bacteria with diet? Can I just do low FODMAP and that get rid of it? No, like diet will not fix the SIBO. It won't treat SIBO. So there's three branches of treatment. You can do an antibiotic route. Um, you can do an herbal antimicrobial route, which is the route that I prefer. Mm -hmm. Um, or you could do an elemental diet. Now this isn't a food diet. This is like a medical food. Um, so it's a lot more intense that you would definitely want to do with a practitioner as well. But those are the three treatments for SIBO. What are the pros and cons to each? Yeah. So for antibiotics, the pros is that it's typically only a two week treatment round. So people that are really desperate for relief, um, you know, maybe they got their SIBO test back and their levels were really high. You know, if I see someone with uh, gas levels, you know, above 70, 80, you know, I may say, hey, like this could be a good first option to give you some relief. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's, you've only got a two week treatment round. The cons is that the, one of the medications Zefaxin is really expensive, super expensive, <laughs> really expensive, not, uh, most often not covered by insurance. Um, and then the cons too, is if you've got methane dominant SIBO as well, then you're going to be on a second antibiotic. So rifaximin is great for hydrogen. It's a wonderful antibiotic, really no negative side effects. But if you've got methane, then they're tacking on something like neomycin or another like just standard broad spectrum antibiotic. Now that's going to have detrimental effects on your large intestine. So we got to play this balancing game that can be, you know, really difficult because you want to reduce levels in the small intestine but you want to kind of save your bacteria in your large intestine. So it's this difficult balance, but um, yeah, so that you've got the negative impacts of that. And a lot of times too, uh, when I'm working with SIBO clients, many of them also have CFO, which is small intestinal fungal overgrowth, or they've got Mm -hmm. overgrowth of candida in their gut. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in that case, if you're doing antibiotics, it could make those symptoms worse. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. so those would be, yeah, pros, short-term cons, cost, and also the negative side effects of the antibiotics. Um, Those are kind of the highlights. For the antimicrobials, so herbals, the pros is that it's going to, it's more than just an antibiotic. So it's not just going to be antibacterial, it's going to be antifungal, it's going to be antiparasitic, antiviral, it's going to be all these other things that will be more of a catch-all than, you know, an antibiotic. Mm -hmm. Uh, So a lot of times I find, like personally, this was my story too, but with my clients as well, that, you know, they got relief from antibiotics, but there's higher chance of relapse rate with antibiotics. So that is also another con. With the herbals, I find there's less uh, relapse rate and you find relief longer because you've also addressed maybe some underlying fungal overgrowth too. Um, And the, the cons though, is that 
it's a longer treatment. It's a longer, yeah, protocol. So it's about four to six weeks mm-hmm. is average for one round. And you can kind of calculate how many rounds you would need based off of your gas levels. So one round will probably bring down your gas levels 40 parts per million. Okay. So yeah, so if you've got like less than 40 parts per million of gas, um, then you might be good with just one round, you know, obviously sometimes SIBO doesn't do what we want it to do. And, and methane is a little bit more stubborn, Mm -hmm. um, but on average, that's about how long that would take. So if you're at 80, you know, parts per million, you're doing quite a long treatment. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so, so, and then also to the, uh, antimicrobials that can add up the cost as well. So unfortunately cost on both sides is an issue. Uh, but I, I definitely see really great results with the herbals. Uh, and then lastly, the elemental diet, um, there's, there's quite a few cons, um, but the pro, I would not want to do the elemental. Diet. Yeah, the pro is that, you know, again, if you've got huge levels of of gas and antibiotics haven't worked for you. Antimicrobial herbs haven't worked for you. Like I would definitely not take that as a first line approach. That mm-hmm. would be, Hey, this is your last ditch effort and everything else has not worked for you. Then you would do an elemental diet where you're essentially on this liquid, um, medical food that does not taste super great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're essentially fasting from everything else and just doing that for two to three weeks. That's so, tough. yeah, it, it's not, it, it's not enjoyable. <laughs> I haven't personally done it. Uh, I haven't needed to thankfully. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, for some people that are really, really suffering and have had no relief from the other, um, alternatives, it could be a game changer. It could be life-changing. Um, mm-hmm. it's also expensive, um, to mm-hmm. you'll need multiple bags of that to make sure that you're getting enough calories a day and not losing, um, not losing weight on that. But yeah, you know, it is, it is an effective treatment as well, but definitely not my, my first line approach and, and people too, that are really, really sensitive to, um, herbals. Some people don't tolerate herbs cause they're just, they've got such a toxic load that they can't even tolerate that or the, the antibiotics, this could be a good option too. Mm. Yeah. And you know, like for our listeners, I did choose to do the antibiotics. I also chose to do the, the antimicrobials alongside it. Um, so that was, you know, and I, I work with a doctor and a nutritionist, but the rifaximin was $600 yeah. and that, and that was a three week treatment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my doctor wanted to put me on metronide is all as well. And I couldn't tolerate it. Like it was the most God awful thing I've ever been on. I could do like two days. And wow. then, um, he, he said, there's a, some antimicrobials you can take in place of the metronidazole. So that's what I've been doing. And it will be, um, you know, much longer, but Metagenics is a great brand, the candy backed in AR and BR. Um, I'd like you to talk about the fungal connection, you know, candida and SIBO, cause that's really interesting. Can you talk a little bit, but a bit more about that? Yeah. So, you know, there's definitely more and more research coming out about this. Um, but a lot of times with 
you know, SIBO, you've got also some dysbiosis. It, it depends mm-hmm. too on your underlying cause, but a lot of times, you know, I'll find people that have SIBO, they've had a history of antibiotic use, you know, a lot of antibiotic use. Mm-hmm. And two, to be honest, you know, there's just like, as women, uh, and I know you probably have male listeners as well, but um, as women, you know, there's a lot of women are, that are also on like birth control yeah. and like oral birth control. And so like antibiotic use, uh, even for acne, like I see a lot of women who've been on antibiotics for acne and just different things, um, long-term, uh, and, and then as well as the oral birth control and just all these kind of different factors have had like maybe UTIs and, um, yeast infections. So all these kind of things will set you up for a fungal, um, overgrowth, candida overgrowth. Mm-hmm. Now, when it happens in the small intestine, the re- a lot of research will say that this is more common with the methane, um, methane type SIBO. So, uh, yeah, there's, you know, this connection there that they like to hang out together and overgrow and methane, you know, also create these archaea, develop these biofilms that essentially cover themselves and protect them. And in that biofilm, there's also fungus, there's kind of all these hosts of different microorganisms that are hanging out and uh, just, you know, surviving in the gut and overgrowing. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, you know, I think that the research on why uh, why there's so, there's such a strong connection is come is still, you know, evolving, but I think a lot of it points back to just the underlying issue. Like what caused SIBO? A lot of those things will also cause a fungal overgrowth as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I didn't even think about oral birth control. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, um, that's really interesting. I, my mom put me on birth control when I was 15. Cause I had really bad cramps mm-hmm. and acne. Yeah. Right. Like, and, and well, my mom didn't put it on like the doctor. That's just what they did back then. Right. Like, Oh, you just put a kid on birth control. Mm -hmm. It cleared it up, but you don't know what other damage it's causing. Absolutely. I think that's the sad thing, you know, is obviously there's like no shame in anybody that's taking oral birth control whatsoever. But I think the fault lies in the medical community that, you know, when people are, you know, being put on things like this, they're not made aware of maybe some of the possible repercussions or the side effects long-term. And, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe it's just that until recently, we've really identified the impact um, of birth control on the microbiome and on the gut and how Mm -hmm. it leads to leaky gut and Mm -hmm. sensitivities and leads to overgrowing bacteria and, um, and slowed motility. That's one of the reasons it slows motility down in the gut too. And so that will leave bacteria kind of stagnant and allow it to overgrow. So, yeah, I think it's just, you know, and I grew up same, you know, my, my mom put me on a bunch of antibiotics, had all of these different things going on. And, and it really wasn't until recently that we're learning, wow, okay, well, that, that is not helpful, right? Now it kind of set us all up for um, these gut issues later on in life. But the good news is there's ways to address that. And it's not this life terms, long-term sentence of, I'm going to have gut issues the rest of my life. 
Mm-hmm. And that's one thing I really do appreciate about you and your account and your message is that um, it's not like there's like, oh my God, I was on, you know, birth control or antibiotics and all this and I'm doomed forever. Like you're, you're not, but there's definitely, you need to, first of all, you need to be properly diagnosed because, you know, thinking that, oh, well, I may have SIBO, so I'm just going to go ahead with treatment isn't a good idea because you don't know how how high your levels could be. You don't know, right? Like you, you need to work with a practitioner. Um, you know, say if someone is diagnosed with SIBO, like what is the, what is the long-term outlook look for them? Yeah. And I wish I could give like a, you know, straightforward answer for this, but long-term it depends on the underlying cause of symptoms. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So some people, you know, I've had women in my practice where after three months, you know, they're going back to eating all their favorite foods. Again, they're fitting into their skinny jeans without an issue. They're not having to unbutton their pants in the evening. You know, they're back to living life normally. Mm -hmm. And that's amazing. And, um, but then there are also people where like the underlying issue is a little bit more complicated. So, you know, for my clients who may have had like C-sections or have endometriosis or have had abdominal surgeries, and now there's potential for adhesions that have developed and this will, what adhesions will do, it'll kind of create a kink. It can create kinks in your intestines and kind of trap bacteria there. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, with those, the key is really to kind of break out, like break open, or that's not the word, but stop loosen up those adhesions. Um, and so that flow can move properly through the gut and the motility can be like restored there. So that might take longer. You'd have to go see, you know, someone that works in uh, visceral manipulation, uh, open up those adhesions. Um, or, you know, if somebody has, um, like if their causes food poisoning, mm-hmm. well, their long-term prognosis, they may feel great after their, you know, SIBO is cleared, but they may have to be on a prokinetic long-term. So a prokinetic is something that's going to support their gut motility in the form there's conventional prokinetics, there's herbal prokinetics. Um, but they may have to be something on something like that you know, long-term because Mm. there's been damage to that migrating motor complex. Mm. And now that migrating motor complex isn't efficiently um, sweeping out that bacteria. So Mm. it looks different, you know, for everybody that uh, has SIBO, depending on what their cause is. But when you get rid of SIBO, like your IBS symptoms go away. (laughs) That's like the most amazing part. And you can hold those gains. Like you can hold the gains that you've made uh, after clearing SIBO, but when you optimize your digestion, so, you know, making sure that your stomach acid is rebalanced and, uh, making sure that motility is there and diversifying your diet and taking Mm -hmm. care of your microbiome and your large intestine. So there's definitely things that you can do to hold those gains while you address the underlying cause. Mm -hmm. You probably also, see a lot of like psychological issues that come from SIBO and even just like, uh, the fear that it's going to return or IBS, I kind of use them interchangeably because they, they so <laughs> often go hand in hand. Um, but you know, like, do you have a lot of clients that are just like really afraid to get back to eating normally? 
Yeah. You know, Lena, that's, um, I experienced that too. I mean, I was on like a self-inflicted, like really restrictive diet. Um, when I was trying to manage my SIBO before I really dove into it and, um, decided to like specialize in it. And so I, I totally felt the same way, but there is a way that, you know, I'll take clients through where, you know, there it's natural to have some food fear because for over a period of time, we have developed this connection between food and symptoms. Mm -hmm. You know, I eat food, I feel bad. And the Mm -hmm. more times that happens, the more times that's reinforced in our mind. Mm -hmm. And so it really takes these, you know, small changes. Mindset is also key too, but really slowly reintroducing food, you know, whether that's like, I've had clients who will just reintroduce a teaspoon or a tablespoon of a food to bring it back in. So it's not this huge thing of like, I'm going from zero to 60. Like I'm going from not eating garlic and onion to, all right, now I'm going to get some like fried onion rings, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, so really strategically introducing that um, and increasing it slowly is really helpful. And I think too, is, you know, for me and my clients as well, where when you do have that first kind of bite and you're like, okay, I'm going to branch out and have a tablespoon of beans and you, the, you go the rest of the day and you don't feel any symptoms. That's a reinforcement. That's a, that's a new like thought pattern that you can create in your mind. Like, Mm -hmm. wow, I ate this and I didn't feel bad. Mm-hmm. And the more times that happens where you're able to eat something and not feel bad, that's re- shifting your mindset. That's shifting your belief around the food that it's no longer, I eat and I feel bad, but wow, like I can eat this and I can digest it and I can eat this and I can still fit into my jeans. Mm-hmm. And so over time, obviously not overnight, but over time, you're able to gain confidence trying new foods and even scarier foods because you're like, okay, I know that I tolerated, you know, honey last, you know, a couple of weeks ago and that went fine. So I can tolerate the fructose. Now I have more confidence to bring in, you know, fructans like garlic and onion and wheat and those sort of things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's definitely helpful to have that strategic reintroduction process because Mm -hmm. you're also working through a lot of psychological, um, you know, psychological kind of just, you know, boundaries with food. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. It's really, really difficult, especially like, like you said, you build that connection and you don't want to be in pain. And so then that food is a source of pain, but it's also important to remember that like, you're always going to get you know, a little bit bloated and you're going to have like normal gas. Like that's also normal. Like you'll just, you know, unless you're eating absolutely nothing, like you're going to have some symptoms to some degree, which is normal digestion, you know, like, can you touch on that? Like what is normal digestion? Yeah. I think that that's really important to clarify because, you know, there's, two ends of the spectrum. I find there's that one end of the spectrum that, you know, you can go on Instagram and see, you know, this, um, 
I guess, bloat acceptance for, you know, lack of a better word where it's like, Hey, like I eat, like I eat, you know, a meal and it's normal that I would look six months pregnant with bloat after and, you know, love your body kind of thing. And I'm all about loving your body and accepting your body and like having compassion on it, no matter where it's at in this journey, but that's not normal. So like not normal bloat would be you're feeling six months pregnant with blow. It doesn't even have to be that extreme, but you're like visibly distended every single night, you know, no matter what you eat and you're in pain, you know, this actually is affecting your life. Mm -hmm. I remember for me, like I would have to leave social settings because I literally couldn't stand up. It was Mm -hmm. so painful. I'd Mm -hmm. have to come home, like crawl into a ball and put on sweatpants and just wait for it to pass. Cry until diarrhea the next day. (laughs) Yeah. It's just like, you know, and it would, it would be a full night thing before it, it passed the next morning. But, um, but yeah, that's not normal. And, uh, but, but then there's the other end of the spectrum where there's this thought like, we'll never bloat, you know, like living bloat free. Yes. You know, true to an extent, but if you're going to eat, you know, like overeat, for example. Yeah. You're going to feel like really full. You may want to like loosen your pants, like, you know, uh, get into something a little bit more comfortable. Uh, you may, if you eat gassy foods, so like cruciferous vegetables, you eat a lot of broccoli or Brussels sprouts, like that's normally going to cause some, some bloat and some gas, lots of beans too, too, Mm -hmm. you know? So there's definitely a level of bloat where it's like, okay, yeah, I'm bloated, but it'll go away in an hour or two. You know, it passes easily. It's not disrupting my life. It's not painful. It's, you know, I don't look like I'm pregnant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's this kind of fine line of, okay, Hey, this is just part of normal digestion. Obviously I'm putting food into my stomach and it's going to normally expand. Um, but having gas that's trapped, that's causing pain, that's making you look pregnant. That's, that's not normal. Mm -hmm. Do you, um, you know, work with some of your clients to do their own like abdominal massage after eating? Like, do you, can you touch on that? Yeah. So I, um, the one that I'll use most often because a lot of my clients deal with more constipation. Um, and so I teach them how to do the, I love you massage. Um, which is just kind of making, and this is something that you can easily, you know, look up, um, online, but you're basically massaging kind of around your colon Mm -hmm. and you're going kind of from the right side and kind of your right hip bone up, kind of massaging up to where your belly button line is, and then kind of massaging over across, and then you're massaging down from that left hip bone, uh, downward. And so, um, so yeah, that can be really helpful, uh, especially for people with constipation. Um, that's more of the, the massage all kind of instruct, but there's things that you can do too, you know, to help just reduce the bloat from normal eating. And these are foundational things like chewing your food really well. You know, I find a lot of people are rushing their meals. They're eating distracted. They're eating while they're emailing or working or in the car. And that's going to cause bloat. Like even if you don't have SIBO, totally, totally. (laughs) So we got to address foundational things and start there before we jump to, Oh, this must be SIBO. Like let's start working on, Hey, maybe doing some deep breathing before Mm -hmm. 
levels so that you can actually get into this rest and digest parasympathetic nervous system mode, which actually supports normal digestion. Mm -hmm. Um, If we're stressed out, our body's not even set up for digestion. It's not prepared to digest the food coming in, regardless if you have SIBO or not. So that's kind of step one is getting yourself into that, you know, relaxation state, chewing your food really well, you know, taking your time with meals, not rushing through it. And, um, and that can really go a long way in helping reduce kind of what the normal bloat would be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, you know, that's been one of my go-to first strategies with clients is to just get them to slow down when they're eating mm-hmm. like huge, like huge yeah. difference. Um, no, it's crazy. I think in our culture, it's just this like hustle and bustle and go, go, go. Mm-hmm. And we've kind of lost the art of enjoying our food. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Can you touch a little bit more on prokinetics? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so a prokinetic is going to be different than a laxative. I think okay. that a lot of times this gets confused. So a laxative will primarily work on your large intestine. Mm -hmm. So that's going to typically, you know, there's different types of laxatives, but pull water into the gut to kind of move stool and um, move stool through a prokinetic is going to function on the small intestine. Now prokinetic can have a laxative effect, but a laxative can't have a prokinetic effect. (laughs) Okay. So, um, so yeah, with a prokinetic, what the job is for that is just to kind of like stimulate that motility to get your migrating motor complex to sweep out the food and the bacteria. And this Mm -hmm. is so key, Lena, like they've done studies where even if somebody had low stomach acid, weren't digesting their food really well, you know, didn't have maybe enough enzymes, pancreatic enzymes, et cetera, to break down the food, if they had adequate motility, then that would protect them from SIBO Mm because our body has these natural defenses to protect against SIBO and, and motility is one of those strongest and strongest defense. So yeah, a prokinetic, there's those different kinds. There's the conventional. So this would be, you know, gold standard is motegrity for calipride. So that one is a really wonderful prokinetic, um, that will stimulate the gut. Uh, low dose naltrexone LDN is another one that can be used often. So yeah, these will typically be taken, you know, at bedtimes that overnight it's going to have this motility effect where it'll sweep out that food and bacteria that may have been left over throughout the day. Um, there's also herbal kinds. Um, I really like, uh, you know, ginger based uh, herbs. So modal pro is great motility activator. Um, you know, there's five HTP, which can be helpful. So there's different ones on the herbal spectrum, but it's really key that after you address SIBO and kind of clear it, that you do get on some kind of prokinetic. Um, I recommend for at least, uh, three to six months. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I just heard. Like at least three months, you know, what, what are your thoughts on someone just taking ginger? Yeah, you can definitely, you know, there's some, um, 
you know, people that will do just plain ginger root capsules. Yeah. Um, and, but the key is to, you know, take it at um, the effective dose dosing for that. So if you're just eating ginger, that probably won't have um, the effect that you're looking for, mm-hmm. but um, you can definitely take it. Cause I know that there's, I have some clients who don't have access to maybe some of those brand names like Modal Pro or Motility Activator, but they can get ginger capsules. So yeah. that's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really helpful. And is there anything else that you would like to leave our listeners with, um, in terms of getting tested for SIBO and IBS in general? Yeah. You know, I would just say, uh, trust yourself (laughs) because you're the own expert of your body. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times I've had women, uh, come to me and say, you know, I, my tests all came back normal, but I'm still feeling miserably bloated every single day. And my doctor told me it was all in my head, mm-hmm. you know, and that's just so disempowering and so defeating. And so my encouragement is to, yes, if you've been diagnosed with IBS and you're having, you know, symptoms that are out of control, you're feeling like six months pregnant with bloat every night, you're still struggling with constipation and diarrhea. I would highly recommend get tested for SIBO. And if your doctor won't order you one, you can order your own. And so I actually created a whole free training on this. Did. It was really good because I was just like, you know, this needs to get out there. I want women to have access to that testing and know how to interpret it correctly so that they can get the treatment that they need to feel better. Um, but yeah, that's the biggest thing is keep searching for answers. You know, don't stop at just, Hey, your, your labs are normal. Uh, mm-hmm. you're going to live this way the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. That's not true. You can, you know, regain your life back and take it back from IBS symptoms. And you can really, truly, you know, get back to living life normally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so wonderful. Uh, and that training, that five day training you did was awesome. Yeah, it was very helpful. So I know that you can find that. I like to end my podcast with some fun questions because I worked, I worked in the fitness and nutrition industry for 10 years. Now I'm working to become a psychologist, but everyone likes to talk about food and I like to talk about food and here's some fun questions. Okay. Okay. If you were stranded on a desert Island and could only pick one food to eat for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, that's a great question. Um, does it have to be like one ingredient or like one like food? Yeah, you could uh, like tacos. any kind. Yeah. <laughs> Mexican food, tacos. Tacos. I probably could eat tacos. I mean, I put everything into a taco. So don't know if that answers the question, but that's yeah. perfect. Yeah, actually, that ends up being quite a few people's answers. Tacos. <laughs> People love tacos. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm like, like half Hispanic. So I'm like, you know, yes. just, you know, throw anything into a taco. And it's yes. A yeah. Yeah. I love me some tacos. What is the best meal you've ever eaten? Oh yeah. That's, that's really tricky. Best meal. Hmm. I probably would say, you know, I actually used to live in Israel 
And I had like Mediterranean, aside from tacos, like Mediterranean food would be my absolute favorite. That's probably a tie with tacos, but um, I had some of the best, I mean, obviously the best hummus in Israel. It was just like, I would eat that as a meal sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Like that seems silly to be the best meal I've ever had. And it's, I'm sure I could think of many amazing meals I've had, but that just comes to mind. Like anything I ate there was so fresh. Mm. So just amazing. Uh, the flavor is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. My, um, my sister and her husband did a couple missions trips in Israel, two of them. And she said like the hummus and falafels, yeah. you'll never experience anything like it here. Just oh, It's so disappointing when you come back and you get like, you know, grocery store hummus and you're like, this is not hummus. <laughs> nope. Nope. <laughs> what is your favorite restaurant? Favorite man. These are a lot of hard questions. I know. Favorite restaurant. Um, so I'm from Houston and I'd say there's this restaurant in Houston that I grew up going to for brunch called Hugo's and, um, like most authentic, like, you know, upscale Mexican food, um, at least in my opinion in Houston, I loved it. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. What's your favorite travel destination that you've been to? Oh, Israel. Hands down. Yeah. yeah. I hear it's beautiful. Oh yeah. I mean, you've got so many different like terrain, like in the North, you've got really lush, like forest and mountains and waterfalls and hiking. And, you know, in the very tip, you've got some of the best scuba diving in the world, the Red mm-hmm. Sea. Uh, and then like Tel Aviv is where I lived and you've got just this beautiful Mediterranean, um, beach. It's just gorgeous. You've got so many things and there's actually like a ski resort and yeah. And the Northern and the Golan Heights area, there's a ski resort. So you could really do like mountains, ski, you know, (laughs) and everything. There's desert too. So like all the, all the things you can do. Yeah. 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 That's definitely on my bucket list. What's your favorite binge watch television series right now? If you have one. Oh, I don't have that much time to watch TV. <laughs> I do. I, yeah, unashamedly will binge watch new girl, like over and over and over again. I've probably seen all the seasons probably seven times. Nice. So, <laughs> so I'd say that I also really enjoy, um, what are, we're watching, um, I guess, I don't think you could call it binge watching, but the chosen, um, yep. yeah. So I wish all the seasons would be out, but you can't really binge watch it, but that's kind of what we are watching right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's really well done. Oh, I love it. It's awesome. They're actually like filming it here. I'm in Dallas and they're filming it in Frisco, which, oh, they? Yeah, which is pretty cool. The, the rabbi that's the, um, kind of theological, consultant for the show he comes to my church and does talks which is really interesting and really fascinating oh that is interesting yeah Yeah, very cool what is your most embarrassing moment oh well this will probably um go back to my IBS and uh SIBO symptoms I was um traveling in um kind of Europe 
and I was with a bunch of friends. This was while I was living in Israel. We were doing kind of a week long travel and I did not have a bowel movement for over like a week. I think it had been like close to eight days and I was getting really desperate and we were in Prague at the time. And, uh, was it Prague? I think it was Budapest. Actually, we were in Budapest and I was like, I need to get something like medication, a laxative, something, because I literally feel so awful Yeah, and I had to go like wait outside this little walk-up pharmacy window at night. I'm in line with a bunch of people and it was kind of like, you just go up to the window and explain your problem and they hand <laughs> you whatever you need. I'm like, I have this line of people behind me. Like, what, oh. how am I explain this without... <laughs> feeling so miserable. Well, I go up and I'm like trying to talk to the, the woman behind the, the window and she didn't speak English. Oh, and so no. Oh, no. I'm trying to now make hand motions of like what I'm dealing with, with a whole line of people. And like, there were people in line that like understood what I was saying. And so someone had to come up and like interpret, you know, Hey, like she needs something to help her poop, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so embarrassing, but, um, yeah, that's, I've unfortunately had maybe a couple of those experiences. Oh, that's super embarrassing. Yeah. (laughs) What is the happiest moment of your life? Uh, getting married to my wonderful husband, um, two years ago, actually our anniversary is I'm at the end of June. So happy anniversary. Yeah. Thank you. That was definitely the highlight. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's the end of the fun questions. Is there anything else you'd like to leave our listeners with? I know you talked about, you know, being your own health advocate and seeking treatment, but anything else last thoughts? Yeah. Um, you know, I, again, I think that, uh, being your own advocates key, uh, there is, I do have that resource of the SIBO um, training. So if your doctor, you know, doesn't order it for you, you can order your own. You can learn how to interpret your own test. Um, and then I will be launching a new program this summer to kind of help women walk through that whole pro- process. You know, I think that sometimes, especially internationally, um, it's hard to maybe find somebody that really knows a lot about SIBO and how to address it. So mm-hmm. we'll be open to everybody where um, you'll be able to kind of walk through the process of addressing your SIBO, getting to the root cause and addressing that so that, um, yeah, you can be free from your symptoms. So that will be coming out, uh, yeah, this summer, which I'm super excited about. Awesome. And where can people find you? Yeah. Um, my Instagram, uh, at ibs.nutritionist is going to be the best place to find me. Perfect. And I'll put that in the show notes for everyone. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I could just talk to you for hours. You're so knowledgeable. Um, I, I think our listeners are going to get a lot out of this episode and it was just such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you, Lena. It was awesome. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. Please make sure to follow the podcast and please leave me a review so we can get this message of better health out there. Be sure to stay tuned as I have some incredible guests lined up that will be sure to inspire you and always remember 
You are powerful over your health.